welcome to Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I'm your host, author Liz Tolsma. I'm so glad to have you all along with me for this week's episode. Whether you are new here or you are a returning listener, I am so glad that you took time out of your busy schedule to listen to this week's episode. We have Rosanna White with us. She is a terrific lady. She does so much. I don't know how she manages to do everything that she does, but she is a terrific author and she has a wonderful new book out called Yesterday's Tides. I had to read it because part of it is set in World War II. Absolutely fabulous and I highly recommend it. We'll talk to her in just a minute. Before we get there, though, please remember a few things. Number one, if you're new and you haven't subscribed to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting platform yet, please be sure to do so. And that way you won't miss out on wonderful guests like Rosanna White or all the great authors that we have coming up throughout the rest of this year. We're really starting to book out and we have a great lineup coming out. You don't want to miss out on any of them. Second of all, also be sure to check out Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Interact with us over there. Share what you're reading. Share what you like about each episode. Encourage others to find us there. We would really appreciate that. And finally, head over to my website, liztolsma.com, and check out my Patreon over there. There should be a link on the newer episodes of the podcast. Consider becoming a patron, getting some bonus material, getting some early access, other things that are available to you if you support Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I would really appreciate that. Okay, Time to get on to our interview. Please help me to welcome the wonderful Rosanna White here to talk about her latest book, Yesterday's Tides. Welcome to the show, Rosanna. It is so good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so much fun to get to talk to you and been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Before we get into the book, Yesterday's Tides, which was so good, by the way, loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a homeschool mom. My kids are now somehow seniors and freshmen in high school. I don't know how this happened. Um, So they're they're fairly independent these days and they're schooling. So that has freed me up. So um, otherwise, I am a writer. I've been writing since primary school and have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30-ish books, like either out out now or coming out this year. And yeah, when I'm not writing, I'm designing book covers and my husband and I run the White Fire Publishing Group. So all things publishing is my life pretty much. And that's not a bad thing to be, all things publishing. It's a good place not to be. Not at all. Yep, yep. I love it. Well, your new book, as I mentioned, is Yesterday's Tides. Why don't you, before we get into the nitty gritty about it, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about the book? Okay, it is a time slip. So it's a dual timeline. We have one line in World War One and one line in World War Two. Both are set primarily in Ocracoke Island, which is in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So we have two different romances, two different storylines, but it's really kind of all about how generations and especially with those two wars really 
impact each other and affect each other. And, you know, things ripple out and, you know, to, to draw on the title, yesterday's tides affect today's currents so much. So it's, you know, it's a fun story that has some espionage. It's got some home front war things, um, some intelligence and code breaking, but it's also just got love stories and what family really means and how the, the choices that our grandparents and parents make affect us and then how the choices we make are going to affect the generations to come. Yeah, I was so intrigued by this book, finding out that it was dual timeline, and more than that, but that it was World War One and World War Two. Why did you mm-hmm. decide to write about both wars? <laughs> Funny story. Okay, so I had had the idea for Louisa and Rem's story. They're the the World War One hero and heroine. I'd had their story idea, their love story for 19 years at this point. I wrote it originally as a contemporary. So when I started writing historicals, my critique partner was like, oh, you need to just reset their story as a, you know, 19 teens or 20s story. And I was like, I totally do. So I plotted how to do this and decided, well, Rem would be active in World War One, And so I planted him in one of my previous series as a secondary character. So he's in the Code Breakers, if anyone has read those. And as I was kind of plotting how to make my publisher do this book with me, (laughs) I was also bemoaning one year when I was vacationing in the Outer Banks that all the interesting history in in Outer Banks happened in World War II, not in World War I. And I went... Ding! Time slip! I need to tell a story, you know, in two different timelines so that I could include things like the sinking of the Bedfordshire, which is the kind of big action that starts the World War II line. Um, So basically, that was what inspired it. Like, ah, okay, I already had the idea for Evie's story as well. She's the World War II heroine. So it's like, let's just mash them up. One story. We're just going to tell them both at the same time. And that's what I did. And Bethany House loved it. So yay. (laughs) Yay. Good for us, too, because I loved it. I loved there being both World Wars represented and learning about all the history. I've There have been several, and it might even be a question I have coming up down here further, about several recently that have been set in the Outer Banks. So I was just so intrigued by this book. And like I said, I really loved it. And one thing I loved a lot about it was how these two timelines came together. How did you plan that? Did you do a lot of planning or did it just sort of end up weaving itself together? (laughs) Oh, I had 20 pages of notes. So usually I will turn in a, you know, a summary, a synopsis. It'll be two to four pages. When I was brainstorming this one, I was like, okay, I need to know if I can pull this off because I've never done a dual timeline like this before. So I was like, all right, well, we're just going to do chapter by chapter, figure out what's going to happen, how it's all going to play off each other, when to reveal each bit, you know, because it was, it was very complicated and very complex. So yeah, lots of planning. I think I took two or three days to outline and just sat there, you know, hammering out what to put in every chapter, which made writing it really easy. Like it was a breeze because I had the entire thing mapped out. (laughs) So yeah, lots of work done ahead of time on that one. So does that mean you're going to be a plotter from now on? I'm always partially a plotter. I like discovery, especially in the first part of a book, but I'm also on a lot of really tight deadlines and I write faster if I have it outlined. So I usually have at least the the bare bones outlined and I'll, you know, 
write in an exploratory way for the first bit. And then I'm like, heck with this, I need to get words down. <laughs> so I, I will outline from there on. Usually the second half of a book for sure is always outlined for me. Now you have two different heroines, obviously, because of the two mm-hmm. different timelines, Louisa and Evie. How are they similar and how are they different? Well, the the first and foremost similarity is they're both innkeepers at the Ocracoke Inn, which is sort of historical, sort of fictionalized. I I based it on a real place that was a working inn at the time, but I renamed it and kind of, you know, took some liberties. They're also very different in that they're in different parts of life, for one thing. Louisa is, I believe, 19 in her when her line begins and Evie is 27, if I'm remembering numbers, you know, not my thing all the time. <laughs> so, you know, she's she's older, she's lived more life. And she's also, Evie has come to the place where she has decided to stay on Ocracoke with its, you know, day in, day out, every day the same, small village life. And that's what she's chosen. And she's at once at peace with that. And not quite suited to it in some very important ways. Whereas Louisa, she has these dreams that would take her away from the island, but she's willing to sacrifice them for her family. And she doesn't want to put her family in a tough spot. So she is kind of at that, like, you know, just beginning of life sort of phase where the whole world is available, but she doesn't know what she should dare to grab. So they're in very different very different positions, but they also just have a lot of, you know, heart similarities. They're both women of faith. They come from families of faith. And it was just really fun to kind of explore, you know, these women a generation apart. How does society view them? How do they view society? And and just explore that through both of their eyes. Yeah, it was interesting to see how that played out. And I was really curious how you would answer that question. I love your answer. (laughs) And here's the question I said I thought I had further down in the line here. I have seen a few books now that are set in North Carolina or the East Coast during World War II. So tell us a little bit about the Outer Banks and Ocracoke Island. And why do you think that this location is so popular in World War II stories right now? I mean, for one thing, it's just a lovely place to set a book. I love that area. The Outer Banks has always been, you know, very, very special to me. It's actually where my husband and I got married. So I've been wanting to set a book there for a long time. And the history of the Outer Banks and the East Coast during the war is really interesting, because especially in the early years, it was very vulnerable. Like, think about all the major cities and targets on the East Coast, and we had nothing in place to protect them. In 1942, which is when my World War II line is set, America had no naval presence at all yet. They were still gearing up and building all their ships. So the really fascinating thing to me is that our entire East Coast defense was A, the Coast Guard, and B, ships sent from England. So they actually commissioned a lot of fishing boats and random, random things and turned them into warships, just kind of mounted some guns on it and said, there you go, have fun, (laughs) and sent them to the East Coast to help protect America because U-boats were prowling the waters and there were tons and tons of ships that were sunk by U-boats in those early days of the war. And that's, that's what begins my story. But I think it's just one of those kind of 
overlooked bits of history. So it's it's not really a big surprise that so many people are are starting to discover it because it's it's fascinating that we think about the European theater and we think about the Pacific theater, but we don't really think a lot about the dangers and the deaths that came as people sacrificed themselves protecting our homeland even when they weren't American, like these were English sailors who died protecting us. So it's just, it's just really evocative, right? Like that's just something that once you learn it, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like I, I've never really paused to think too much about that, but it's, it's there. It's a really interesting piece of history. Yeah, that is really neat. And I've learned a lot by reading your book and the others that I've read that are set in that area. And it is fascinating. And now it makes sense why my mother would say she remembers when she was a very little girl having the blackout curtains and blackout conditions mm-hmm. where she lived just south of New York City in New Jersey. And so it, it makes complete sense now why they would have that because it was very vulnerable. And how neat that you get to set a book where you and your husband got married. I've been to the Outer Banks, loved it. It is beautiful. It's wonderful. So that's kind of cool. Do you go back often then? Oh, yeah. We vacation there pretty much every year. We miss a year once in a while, but mostly both of our families have been going much of our lives. So it was a kind of fun place to say, hey, let's get married there. We, we already all vacation there anyway. So we actually got married in Kitty Hawk, which is north of Ocracoke on Bodie Island. So Ocracoke's probably, gosh, two hours from there, but same, you know, same general area. And we vacation most often in Avon or Hatteras, which is an island closer <laughs> to Ocracoke. And one year we were like, hey, let's take the ferry over to Ocracoke. I hadn't been there since I was a teenager. And I didn't remember much about it. But as soon as we got into the village, I was like, oh, oh, this, this is where this book is set. Because, you know, I've had this story in mind so many years and I'd always been looking for the perfect setting for it in, in the Outer Banks. And I knew it as soon as I saw the village of Ocracoke. I was like, yep, this is where Louisa grew up. This is her hometown. Uh-huh. That, there's the store she would have shopped at. There's her mother's inn. And it was it was fabulous to finally find the place that would have been her home. Uh, That is so much fun to go and see these places and really have them in your mind. And it comes through in your book. It really comes alive as Ocracoke and makes me want to go back there. We were way north in Duck when we went there. (laughs) But um, yeah, now I want to go back and check out Ocracoke. It definitely has a charm all its own. We got to spend a week there when I was researching for the book right after I'd kind of signed the contract for it. And it was actually the same week during which the the World War II line begins in May. So it it just felt very authentic, like, oh, yes, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So I got to explore the entire village for a week and get to know everything and everyone, and it was awesome. Fabulous. The book has a romance, like you said, and there's some suspense, some mystery to it. Of those three different elements of the book, which did you like writing the best? I always love romance. Like that's that's my heart, but I also really love adding those extra elements. I think the most fun in this bit was I actually based my entire mystery suspense line in the second the the World War II line on a rumor 
that was actually going around in the Outer Banks at the time that there were Germans hiding in the woods. And like this kept, you know, little old ladies up at night and you know they were always out on the, in, you know, on the, the roads and the paths warning all the little kids, you know, you get home before dark, there are Germans in those woods. And they believed it. And, it, you know, we today look back and go, there were not Germans in the woods. Of course not. Why, how would they have gotten there? What would they have done there? But I went, what if there really was a German agent hiding in the woods? So that's what inspired my my whole suspense line. And I just, I love that, that, you know, little, little ancient rumor, let's decide to make it real. That is so much fun when you can do that as an author and sort of, like you said, say, hmm, but what if it were really true? And I mm-hmm. love that about that. And so made it a lot of fun, kept me turning pages, and really enjoyed that. You say that you are an email addict. I don't think I've <laughs> ever heard anybody call themselves an email addict. What is that? And and <laughs> what's that, that all about? Means I I don't just open my email tabs, you know, once or twice a day to check it. They are open all the time. And, you know, every time when I'm working or writing and I need to think of something, I tab over, which is probably not the best idea, but it's my habit. And I'll see if new emails are in. And I usually respond very promptly to things. When I'm in writing mode, I will snooze a lot of emails. I have Gmail, so they have that lovely little snooze button, which is what I'm doing a lot this week. But in general, you can expect a reply from me very quickly (laughs) when you email me. Well, that's good. I know a lot of people who are not email addicts, and I might be among them, and don't check (laughs) them nearly as often as they should. So tell us. A little bit, you mentioned that you and your husband are involved in all things publishing. You have a shop, you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about all those other little fires you have your irons in. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of them. So we do run a publishing group. We have five imprints now, our main white fire line, a children's young readers imprint, White Spark a romance imprint, Ashbury Lane, a Catholic imprint called Chrism Press, and we just launched White Crown, which is our royal fiction imprint, which is super fun. So there's all that work, which is a lot with all that, all those things going at once. But then, yeah, I do also, as me, as Rosanna M. White, I have a podcast. I started doing some video podcasting and then got a little interrupted by the holidays. So We'll pick that back up here again soon. I have a patron, kind of like Patreon system that I run through my site called Patreon Peers. I do have a shop called Bookish Things that sells all of my stuff, of course, but also a lot of tie-in merchandise. Right now, what's most popular is I have sea glass jewelry to tie in with this book because the the main character, Evie, collects sea glass and turns it into jewelry. And it's it's part of her prayer life. So she'll pick something up and whoever she's praying for, because she, she takes prayer walks, you know, she kind of links them in her mind to the, the glass and the shells that she picks up that day. And then as she turns them into jewelry, they're a reminder to keep praying for them. So I was like, well, I have to do that, obviously. So I, not that I make the jewelry, but I found this lovely jeweler who makes very inexpensive and reasonable and beautiful sea glass jewelry. And anything you order from it comes with a little card explaining the the prayer jewelry idea. So people have been gobbling those up and that's lovely. I love to see that. And they're just, they're so fun. So that's an example of, of what I tend to do is have products that tie in with with the books that I write. 
Really neat. And I'm going to put a link to your website in the show notes. And I would encourage everybody to go over there and check out that sea glass jewelry is so beautiful. I just love it. So everybody be sure to check that out over on Rosanna's site. I am really, really hoping that you have something else coming up very soon. If you do, what is it? I always have something else coming. So uh, next up for me from Bethany House is a series called The Imposters, and it is set in Edwardian England in about 1909 to 1910. So we have the aristocracy that my readers love so well, but there's a little twist. This particular brother and sister are on the verge of bankruptcy. So to make ends meet, they had to go into business. So they opened a private investigative firm, but nobody knows it. They're very secretive. But... They have all the ins with society. So they are hired by the cream of society to spy on the cream of society. And it's it's a lot of fun. They use training that they never should have had by the, the circus folk and acrobats and theater troops that their father wasted all their money supplying <laughs> their childhood with. So it's it's just super fun. So they're, you know, doing trapeze acts and climbing walls and being acrobats. And that's how they spy on people and get into places they should never be. And it is just so much fun. I got to work in the formation of MI5 into my first book, which is the the first kind of British unified intelligence agency. And yeah, it was it was so much fun. So the first book is called A Beautiful Disguise, and it will release in August. Wow. So we have something to look forward to in August. That does sound like a total blast. And like you said, a lot of fun. So we'll definitely be looking forward to that. If the readers would like to keep in touch with you so that when this new book comes out in August, that they're the first to get it, how can they connect with you? I would recommend going to my website, which you you already said would be in the show notes, and sign up for my newsletter. So that's front and center on the website. You You can find that sign up pretty much anywhere on there. And that will get you my weekly newsletter, which has a kind of roundup of everything I'm doing. It has excerpts from my blog post and any contests going on. Cover reveals are always done first to my newsletter subscribers. And of course, book news. So you're always the first to know when new things are coming and what they are. And yeah, it's it's great fun. That does sound like a lot of fun. Do you have any last words for the listeners? I suppose in terms of this particular book, and you know, if you get a chance to read it, of course, I hope you like it. But I also just hope that whether you read it or not, it the idea of it just kind of makes you pause and realize that everything you do matters. When you pause and think about how your life is affected by the lives of the people that came before you and realize that your life is going to have that same impact on the future. So not to put too much pressure on us all, but, you know, to to take things seriously enough and also realize that you're important. Every one of you is important and God loves you and you are part of his great story. What a beautiful message for a really lovely book, one that's A lot of fun, a great read, and I can't highly recommend it enough. Thank you so much for being with us, Rosanna. It's always been a pleasure, and stop by and chat with us again really soon. I will be here anytime. Thanks so much for having me. 
I just love Rosanna's enthusiasm for writing and publishing and all things bookish, as well as her love for the Lord. She is a terrific author. And Yesterday's Tides, one of my favorite reads so far this year. So be sure to check that out. You can go to my website, liztolsma.com, for a link to the book. Or if you'd like to learn more about Yesterday's Tides or about Rosanna, that's all going to be over there. So go ahead and check that out. Next week on the show, we have Tracy Peterson back with us. I always love getting to chat with Tracy. She is an absolutely amazing lady, just a legend in the industry, really helped to get Christian historical fiction off the ground and get it to be a thing, if you want to call it that. And so I am so honored every time she agrees to come on the podcast. So you don't want to miss out on Tracy's episode next week. So that's why I'd say be subscribed and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest so that you know when her episode releases. And if you want early access, then that's a good reason to be a patron. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, for sharing with your friends and family who love Christian historical fiction as much as you do about the podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I couldn't do it without you. I hope that you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you back here next week for our interview with Tracy Peterson.